Episode number 012. It is the 6th of February in the year 2024. I am sitting in my home office slash studio facing a wall. Beyond that wall is the direction north. To my left, there is a window. It faces west. And to my back, there is another window which faces south. To my right, there is a wall and a doorway facing east currently it's about 35 degrees fahrenheit i think that would mean that it is about one or two degrees celsius i'm guessing right now i'm not looking at my weather app but i'm going to look at my weather app to check my work and see how accurate my prediction is oh look at that about two degrees celsius i'm getting better at this understanding intuitively without needing to look at something, uh, you know, if something is this degrees Fahrenheit, it means it's probably about this much Celsius. This is one of the little projects I'm involved in, in the year 2024, being able to think automatically without it being difficult, what the temperature is in both Fahrenheit and Celsius simultaneously, a small project. Why do I want to do it? I'm not exactly sure to tell you the truth. Uh, It started because Some of the people I communicate with tend to be in parts of the world where they use Celsius. And so when I would tell them what my temperature is, they would freak out and they'd be like, that's impossible. And I'd be like, no, it's not. And then they'd be like, all right, you Fahrenheit, you live in the United States where they do things in a really strange way when it comes to temperature. You know, why, why do you guys do this Fahrenheit thing? I don't know. And sometimes I get asked that question by people. Outside of the United States, sometimes I get asked that question by people inside the United States, actually. Why does the United States stick to Fahrenheit and miles and some other things like that? And, you know, I'm not sure. I don't know why the United States does this. Tradition maybe is the best answer that I can come up with. Is this a point where tradition has become being stupid on purpose? Perhaps. Perhaps it has. I think it might have. I don't know. So that's on my mind. And this is just the beginning chit-chat of this podcast. What am I going to be talking about today? What's the substance of this podcast? Well, there was a post that I just put up on Surplus Jouissance Projects, which you can go check out by going to surplusjouissance.com if you'd like. And it is a post on minimalism and desire, two topics that I think are extremely interesting. Disclaimer, I am in no way a minimalist. That is not what I am. This is something that my wife would tell you without hesitation. I am not a minimalist. Be that as it may, I am also not a maximalist. I am not somebody who wants to 
there's what would be a good example of a maximalist? I have a good, good friend and he is a maximalist in certain areas. He collects things. And when he collects things, he is like a completist collector. He wants to have every thing. He wants his collection to be complete. So if he were to collect a comic book series, for instance, you know, he would want every single issue of every single volume and all the variant covers of that particular comic book series. He's that kind of guy. He is somebody, if he was a music collector, he would not, not just want to get something an album, right? He'd want it on CD and on vinyl and he'd want the singles and he'd want the Japanese import and so on and so forth. He would want all of the things. He'd want his collection to include every single object that could be a part of a set that is that collection. That's the way that he collects. That is a maximal way of collecting. I don't do that either. I'm somewhere in between the two. I'm not a minimalist. I'm not a maximalist. I don't know exactly how to quantify where I am in between those two poles, but I'm somewhere in between those two poles. And I be that as it may, I think that minimalism is a really interesting thing. I think that minimalism is more interesting than maximalism, just as a, a thing. And part of the reason that I believe that I think this is that being somebody who has grown up in, who has become the person that I am within the hedonistic uh, capitalist culture that is the culture here in the United States, I feel as though I have been inundated by a bunch of different stuff that explicitly and implicitly has encouraged me to always be adding more to the way that I live my life. You know, add this, add this, add this. And that seems to be what has happened a ton throughout my life. And I don't think that I'm unique in this, of course. I think that a bunch of other people inside and outside the United States have also probably experienced this because that I think is just one of the things that happens when you live in a society that orients itself through capitalism, you know, for better or for worse, that's a, a thing that happens. And because of that, I think that my default is probably set to, if there is a problem in my life, what do I need to get in order to fix that problem is probably the default way that I think. If there is something that is frustrating me, I think, what do I need to acquire in order to alleviate that frustration? You know, earlier today, I my left knee has been giving me some problems. I overdid it on some workouts and now it hurts. And I experienced that discomfort and right away I thought, okay, I should go get and take some ibuprofen. That'll help with the pain, which is a problem I'm experiencing in my knee. And that's just one example, but that style of thinking is the natural, normal way that I tend to think about all sorts of different things. And that can be a problem because oftentimes a lot of the problems that I experience in my life, I think could probably be addressed, sometimes better addressed, not through adding, not through acquiring, not through taking, not through getting, but through subtracting things from my life by subtracting things that are problematic or are creating problems in my life. The example I just gave, if I were to subtract the overtraining, the overdoing it that led to this issue with my left knee, that would be a good idea. And in fact, I would say that the very problem of the pain that I now have in my left knee is a direct result of 
thinking to myself that I needed to do more when it came to my exercise routine. Yeah, I thought if I did more that I would kind of get more, that the results would come faster and uh, be more in quantity. And what I ended up doing was overdoing it and screwing myself up, right? So that's an example here. If I were to have subtracted from my workout routine and done what I know I should do, which is focus on quality, you know, being able, this was resistance training, I was doing lifting. If I would have focused more on the quality of the lifts that I was doing and less on the quantity, then I probably wouldn't have messed up my knee, right? This is an example of where subtracting something probably would have made my life better, but I didn't do that. Instead, I went for the adding and it made my life worse. And this general way of opting more for addition for presence as opposed to subtraction and absence is something that makes the ideas that form the constellation that I call minimalism interesting to me. And I wrote a little something about this on my website, Surplus Resonance Projects today. So I'm just going to kind of read through this post and I'm going to put in a little bit of commentary here and there as I go through it. So let's see here. Let me pull it up. Uh, so the first thing I do is I link back to this post that I read. And this post was titled, Don't Make Simplicity Complicated. It was written by a woman named Claire Devlin. She wrote, I quote, anything taken to the extreme can be complicated. And simplicity is no exception, end quote. I read that and I thought, that is a great sentence. It's actually two sentences. The first sentence, anything taken to the extreme can be complicated, period. The second sentence, and simplicity is no exception, period. Two very, very good sentences. They both communicate something. They communicate it well. They're supportive of each other. This is just good writing, actually. When I would teach, this is the kind of writing that I wish students would have done more of, is this kind of simple writing that really effectively communicates what it is that the person is attempting to communicate. But anyways, that's what she writes. I like it. I read it. I thought, you know, I'm going to copy and paste this and I put it into the thing that I use to write posts on uh, SJP. And then I, I read the rest of her article and then I came back and I wrote the following. Minimalism is, I think, about not being tormented by the insatiability of desire. However, the desire to become more minimal can become as distracting and life complicating as the desire that minimal, that a minimal life works to be an antidote to. Then I have this little bit of a disclaimer about why I'm not a minimalist. Uh, I've already explained that to you, so I'm not going to go over that. Going back to what I wrote here, I'm going to attempt to put what I believe is the difference between helpful minimalism and problematic minimalism in Lacanian terms, helpful minimalism dash is when people see the right mix of full slash presence versus empty slash absence as something that is always outside of what they have as something that is an object cause of desire. That is an object. Ah, arriving at the perfect minimal lifestyle is not the aim. It is the cause of an ongoing project of rendering one's life full and empty enough. And I wrote that full dash 
and dash empty dash enough. So I kind of tried to put that through hyphenating, make that into one word slash concept, full and empty enough. Problematic minimalism is when minimalism becomes a thing that a person needs to do or accomplish when being minimal becomes a frustrating and distracting demand from a master that can't ever be entirely pleased. So I want to maybe stretch out that last bit, that problematic minimalism thing a bit here. Minimalism is one of these things that I think can be a problem for people because it's this thing that if you look at whatever constitutes your life and you kind of give it a real honest sort of accurate run through, you're going to find a bunch of stuff that you don't need. You're gonna, I think that's just the way that it is. And I've seen some people try to practice minimalism where they cut out all of the extraneous slash unnecessary things from their life. And I think that that kind of makes folks miserable when they try to do that. And why are they doing that? Well, I think they're doing that because there's this master that exists, has being in their mind. And it's this thing that's like, you got to be more minimal. You got to, you know, get it down to just the essentials. The, you have to have the most simplistic existence you can have. And that's not really possible, I think. And it's not even really desirable. It would be the other thing that I would say, which brings me back to that original quote that I started this with. Anything taken to the extreme can be complicated and simplicity is no exception. Yes. We, a a simple life, a good life is probably not a life, which is a life that is reduced to the bare minimal, to the bare essentials. I think that would actually not be a good life at all. Maybe somebody else thinks that would be a good life. And if that's what they think, they should totally pursue that to their desire that that'd be fine with me, of course. Right. But I don't think that would be a good idea. And I think that trying to do it probably can mess up things, right? Oppose that, you know, to the first thing I tried to describe, this helpful minimalism, where you kind of have this idea that people always talk about this thing called work-life balance, which it's been talked about so much that I don't like it anymore. Uh, I'm I'm being like a, I don't know, like a, what's the right word here? I don't even know what I would call myself. I'm being kind of like a, a snob about language, I guess. That's probably the best way I can put it. Where can I balance? I don't like that term because people say it all the time. And instead of saying that, what I would like to propose as a better way to get at maybe what that term is attempting to get at is if we can have a kind of life that has the appropriate amount of fullness of things in it, right? This is things being work and tasks and hobbies and friendships and blah, blah, blah. And absence, which is, you know, things that we don't have in our life, stress, um, overeating, uh, this sort of stuff, but like, you know, addition and subtraction, if we could try to find a way to have the settings on those two dials be pretty much where we want them to be and recognizing that the settings are never going to be perfect. And even if we get them pretty good, what's going to happen is life is going to happen and we're going to need to change those settings because they can't stay in the same spot all the time. That, that wouldn't work. You know, sometimes we're going to need more presence. Sometimes we're going to need more absence. Sometimes we're going to need more addition. Sometimes we're going to need more subtraction. And just understanding that this is an ongoing lifelong project tweaking the dials on those two things in order to get the kind of thing that you want out of your life, that, that that's okay. 
and that can be helpful, right? So you, you want to make sure that you don't overdo it on the adding and nor do you want to overdo it on the subtracting. I think that that's kind of what I'm trying to get at here. So this is what I'm thinking about today. This is, you know, my quotidian life. I read this thing in my RSS feeds. I thought, oh, I like that. I'm going to cut and paste. And then I kind of thought about it. I wrote some of my own thoughts. And then later on, I thought, oh, I'm going to do a podcast about that. And I sat down here in the home studio facing north, looking at a wall. And I started to talk into this microphone. And now you're listening to it. Thanks for listening to it. I appreciate that. I'm going to stop talking now because there's nothing else that I want to say except make those glorious mistakes. Glorious mistakes are good mistakes. Make them, make them, make them. Please, please, please. Don't let that man keep you down. You know, that's a, that's a thing. We can subtract that. Having the man keep us down, let's take that out of our lives. And uh, damn that demand. The demand for a more minimal or maximal life. Nope, nope, nope. Don't do that. Damn that demand. Save that desire. Desire is all about what we don't have, but strive to get. Have that be the operative force in our life. Why don't we? Yes, that's a good idea. And that's that. Thanks for listening. You take care. <laughs>